0: Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. I'm really excited by, uh, by what we're going to be talking about this morning, uh, ministering grace and love. I'm really enjoying this series, and I'm having great conversations with people about their day-to-day, about how, this, how their faith really has an impact in their day-to-day lives. It's so important, isn't it? Because actually, what we do here is really important, but it's, it's so that we can go out there, isn't it, and minister God's grace and God's love out in our Monday to Friday And Saturday as well, we don't actually get a day off. So last week we explored how to make good work, and Sarah spoke brilliantly, I thought, on that. If you haven't heard it, catch up on it. We talked about how to do what we do, what we have to do, and how to do it well and in a godly way. We talked about work as mission and work as worship. And we were reminded that we're created in the image of a working and resting God We're reminded that we're created to work, whatever form that work takes. This week, we're moving that thinking on a little bit. So we're not thinking about what we have to do. We're thinking more about how we do it. What's our attitude to our work, to our frontline, to those that we come into contact with day to day? How does this faith How does this incredible grace that we, if we know Jesus, that we encounter daily, how does that impact our lives? How does it change the way we minister? How does it change the way we work? So we're thinking about ministering, grace, and love in the context of our front lines. And when we talk about work, we're not necessarily talking about a job. We're talking about whatever your front line happens to be. When you hear the word ministering, I wonder what you think. I wonder if um, you think it's more of a religious word. It's, it's the, uh, it doesn't really uh, sort of have any impact on what you do on your day-to-day. I wonder if you think of politicians. In the context of work, ministering doesn't always sit t- uh, kind of easily with us, I think. We think it's, the, uh, it's for the professional, for the, ch- the professional church leader. Or we think maybe that it's more about our um, projects that churches do, our ev- evangelical um, sort of projects that we do, or our social justice projects. But actually, all of those things are great, and yeah, that is ministry. But ministry at its root just means serving others. It's love in action. So, firstly, then, why are we called, each one of us, to minister? Why are we called to serve others and to put love in action? simply because that's the extraordinary example that Jesus modelled when he was on the earth through his life serving others. You know, Jesus didn't have to heal Simon Peter's mother-in-law. He didn't have to turn water into wine. He didn't have to raise Lazarus from the dead. He didn't have to talk to the Samaritan woman by the well. He didn't have to come to earth. He didn't have to die on a cross. And the resurrected king of the universe certainly didn't have to be barbecuing fish by the lakeside as he waited for his disciples to come back in after a long night's fishing trip. He was the resurrected king. He didn't have to do any of these things, but Jesus did. I want us to read together uh, Matthew 25 from verse 31 to 40. It will come up on the screen as we think about... Uh, what Jesus did, and Jesus' example to us says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Ministry, essentially, is love in action. It's taking a moment to engage with people. It's noticing the invisible people, offering water, food, or shelter if needed. It's noticing and it's acting. And actually, in this passage, Jesus sets the bar pretty low for us. It's about a cup of water. That's it. In the book, Fruitfulness on the Frontline, Mark Green says this, we minister love and grace through small acts done unselfconsciously to serve others. And often, our left hand doesn't know what our right hands have been up to. I don't know about you, but I find that really encouraging. If I buy uh, someone who is out living on the streets, if I buy a homeless person a cup of tea, I tend to overthink it and ask myself if I'm actually helping them or if they're actually homeless, and all manner of ridiculous thoughts go through my mind. But actually, according to Jesus, by doing this, I'm ministering to him. Seeing Jesus in the face of the broken, of the lonely, of the lost, of the homeless that turns that small act into something really significant in the eyes of God. So as we think about ministering grace and love, I think it's good to revisit what grace actually is. Because I think if we're thinking about ministering grace and love out there, we've got to get it right in here too. It's really important that we are a community of people that minister God's grace and love to one another. So before we can begin to understand how we minister it, let's remind ourselves what actually grace is. I love this quote from, if any of you have read the book, What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. There's a quote that I'm just going to throw out there and leave with you. He says this, Grace, like water flows to the lowest part. When you compare Christianity with other world religions, it's only Christianity that dares to make God's love unconditional, no strings attached, free of charge. Each of the other main religions offers ways to earn God's approval, the Buddhist Eightfold Path, the Hindu Doctrine of Karma, the Jewish covenant, covenant, the Muslim code of law. But, as C.S. Lewis said, Christianity's unique contribution among world religions is grace. That's beautiful, isn't it? Isn't that beautiful? Now, I don't want to cast a downer on this, but I am acutely aware that the church is often seen and can be a place of ungrace. And it practices something that isn't akin to the nature of the God that we serve. We hand out judgment. We expect people to find approval before acceptance. And I've been around church all my life. My dad was a minister. Uh, we, We, you know, church was just always part of what I did. I've been around it so long. And one of the saddest things that I've observed in church life is that when life goes pear-shaped for someone, the tendency is to retreat from church rather than run to it. They may feel they don't fit in. They may feel failure. They may feel shame. And as a consequence of that, they run. And what I don't see is I don't see that happening to Jesus. I see the bleeding, shamed woman doing all she can to get to him through the crowd. I see the woman at the well offering to draw him water. I see him inviting himself to eat with the tax collector. I see those who would have been considered the lowest in society being made the greatest. And it's the pious religious people that are the ones condemning him to death. Where's the grace? I believe if Jesus was physically here here now, I would see the marginalized, those who are marginalized because of their sexuality, their gender, their social status. I would see those people being drawn to Jesus. I believe if Jesus were walking the earth now, those lives that are really broken, who perhaps those people who are dependent on drugs, on alcohol, on gambling, on porn, who are addicted to money, who feel real shame about those situations, would find safety, hope and acceptance in his arms. That is the Jesus that we serve. That is grace. And that is what, as a church, as Freedom Church here, and as a church in Romsey, we need to be modelling every single day. It's so important. All of this is because of grace. Grace doesn't have to, but grace does. When we look at Christianity from the perspective of a God who dares to love us first, to remove any of those barriers to us being in relationship with him, surely that changes the way we see our front lines. Surely that changes the way we see our church. His bride... And if as a church community, when we gather to encourage and equip each other, we treat each other with this grace and love, we are ministering this grace and love, then it's far more likely that you and I are going to be able to go out and minister that grace and love on our front lines. Ministering grace and love needs to be happening here and out there. God loves people because of who God is, not because of who we are. I was talking to Anne Thorpe this week. She was telling me how when her husband died four years ago, a friend of hers would bring her round a meal every single night for six months. Wouldn't just bring her anything, would ring her and ask her what she wanted and take it round to her. That's grace. I was talking to Adrian Cumper last Sunday about his heart for the homeless guys in Romsey, and how he spends time talking to them and getting to know them, and he invited one of them to the breakfast that he organised. Adrian doesn't have to stop and chat. He doesn't know I'm telling his story today. Sorry, Adrian. He's a busy man. He's got stuff to be doing at the weekends. Yet he does. And in so doing, he's showing those guys that they are valued and that he values them as people in their own right. That's grace. I was out on a CAP visit this week uh, to a lady who isn't just struggling with her finances, but has multiple health problems and emotional problems as well. Philomena was with me. She offered the lady her phone number and helped getting some shopping, helped getting her benefits sorted, and helped getting her to the food bank. Our befrienders don't have to reach out to the stranger, those who are probably amongst the most vulnerable in our community. But they do. That's grace. Grace doesn't have to, but grace does. Jesus didn't have to, but Jesus did. Grace doesn't have to, but grace does. And more than that, as in the examples that I've just told you, Grace seeks out opportunity to do so. It's proactive. And so for us, as we're considering ministering grace and love on our front lines, what does that look like? What's what's the call? Three things. Firstly, it's often inconvenient. For example, someone gets sick You have to rearrange your day to get to the hospital to see them. Someone at work breaks down on you. They need to talk. You spend time with them. You end up then having to stay later to do the work that you couldn't get done at the time. Serving others invariably involves a sacrifice of our time and our agenda. But that's okay. That's ministering grace and love. It's being inconvenienced. When we foster, I invariably find it hard, it's inconvenient, it hurts at times, it doesn't bring out the best in my character, it's often disappointing. But I know God's called us to it, and he's equipped us for it, and it's only because of what God has generously done for us and given to us that we are able to do it. I also know it's one of the ways that God wants me to minister his grace and love, it certainly makes me feel vulnerable and it causes me to rely on God more than ever. I don't tell you this to sound heroic or for sympathy. I tell you because I want you to help me with it. I tell you because we're all called to minister his grace and his love and that involves sacrifice for for us all at some level or another. You will have those situations in your life as well. Maybe you think they're not of God, but maybe they are. And it's part of how he's calling you to minister his grace and love. And the good news is, as we just sang, let heaven come, wasn't that Uh, That was just incredible, and we're going to sing that again at the end. The good news is that as we minister his grace and love, we're doing it not on our own, not in our own strength. We're doing it in partnership with an omnipotent God. Uh, That means he's all-powerful. There are some situations that are beyond us, but they're not beyond God. Secondly... Ministering grace and love on the front line means practicing forgiveness. Listen, we're only human. I'm human, you're human. We all make mistakes. We mess up the whole time. On our front line, grace looks like forgiveness. Forgiving our boss for not listening. Forgiving our teacher for blaming us for something that we didn't do. Forgiving our parents for being embarrassing. Forgiving our colleague for undermining us in the meeting. Forgiving our child for humiliating us by tantruming in the supermarket for the 28th time that day. Forgiving the person who forgot to come round when they said they would. Forgiving isn't weakness. It isn't looking like a pushover. It's at the heart of grace. Christ forgave us. He forgave Peter, one of his best mates, three times when Peter denied him. Forgiving isn't weakness, it's at the heart of grace. And the third thing, as we are thinking about how do we minister grace and love on our front lines and in our church, it requires us to live generous lives. At root, ministering grace and love is about being generous, generous living, taking the focus off ourselves and proactively thinking about how we might help someone else. It's about being alert to opportunities to serve someone, or about being on the lookout on the front lines for those who are struggling, who need friendship, who need some help. I think generosity takes us beyond just meeting need to generously meeting need. It is more than kindness because love is about wanting and seeking the best for someone else. And that can be expressed in so many ways. We get so many opportunities on a day-to-day basis if we're being alert and open. Think about your front line. How can you show generous love to someone this week? So ministering grace and love is often inconvenient Inevitably involves forgiveness. Requires generous lives. It's about noticing and acting in love. It's unconscious unconscious and conscious acts. Sim read out this great quote this week in the office that uh, that I'm going to share with you today by um, a guy called Rodney Gypsy Smith. It's not a name you forget, is it? He says this, There are five gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian. Most people will never read the first four. In other words, we are the gospel. We're the good news on our front lines, yes? Yes. Are we the good news on our front lines? We are the good news on our front lines. And we demonstrate that by ministering this grace and love. And as Philip Yancey says, I would far rather convey grace than explain it. (laughs) Listen, all of this is because of what Christ did for us. As we read in Ephesians 1 verse 7, Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We are free people free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by our misdeeds. And the really good news is, we're not just barely free, we are abundantly free. So as we draw this to a close, I just want us to have a a time of quiet. The band are just going to play. I just want us to have a time of quiet. And I want you to consider your front line. Perhaps your front line is, is, um, is really tough, actually. Perhaps you're not sure what God's saying to you. Perhaps you need to ask him whether or not this is an opportunity to minister his grace and love. Well, every front line, every op- we always have every opportunity to do that. But perhaps you're not sure if actually this is of God or if actually he's challenging you to something else. So let's spend some time reflecting on that perhaps actually, life is sweet, it's all going really well, it's really easy to minister his love and grace, there aren't many challenges, then can I respectfully challenge you that perhaps there needs to be a bit of, you need to be pushing yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit, maybe you need to be looking for opportunities, more costly opportunities to minister his grace and his love. And all the while remembering that we are in partnership with an omnipotent God. So shall we just stand, or you can stay seated if you want, but whichever you want to do. Just stand before the living God, the God who has bestowed all grace on us. The God who says nothing I've removed all the barriers to you being in relationship with me I've given you everything you could ever need in order to minister to those that you come into contact with he loves you, he's proud of you, he thinks you're great and he wants you to share that with others he wants you to notice invisible person in your life. He wants you to notice that person. He wants you to offer them a cup of water. He wants you to take a risk on him. He's the all-powerful God. He wants you to seek out that more costly opportunity to minister his grace and his love. Because grace doesn't have to, but grace does. And grace is on the lookout for opportunities. Love doesn't have to, but love does. And love is alert to the possibilities. Look out this week. Be alert this week. Because the world really needs to be soaked in this.